shaken up by horse riding. That's good. <laughs> but it's good to have you all. Uh, let's go ahead and open up in a word of prayer. Uh, Dad, would you open us up in a word of prayer? Father, we come before you this evening, Lord, uh, looking into your word to uh, have it uh, speak to our lives and our hearts, Lord, by the Holy Spirit of God that lives and abides in us. And uh, we're just thankful for that and uh, just pray uh, that uh, for John, Lord, as he brings forth the message that uh, come through clear and, um, and in the right way that you have. For we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So, um, yeah, so I will be learning a lot along with you all. So I just got this this morning. Um, so pray for all the, all the sickies out there uh, that aren't able to be here tonight. Um, who all we got? We got the readers, some of the um, Utsies, I believe, little Anna, and the betting hosses. Uh, Debbie Reader, yeah, so there's a, there's a lot out sick, so let's pray for all those, uh, keep them in mind, and pray that nobody else gets sick, so okay. that would be good. So we're on lesson number eight, a lesson, lesson on cleansing, and there is, this, this lesson's chuck full of Bible verses, which is good, so there's going to be a lot of reading, and we'll probably, for sake of time, have to skip through some of it. Um, but we're on lesson number eight, and our goals for this lesson tonight is to understand the importance of a clean life, uh, as the title is, A Lesson on Cleansing. Uh, realize that the world is full of impurities and uh, the, the threat that that is to our lives, and also to choose to allow Christ to cleanse our lives and keep us clean. So lesson number eight, A Lesson on Cleansing. So we'll get right into it. Our God is a holy God, and as we catch a glimpse of His purity, we must acknowledge our own sinfulness. Isaiah did this very thing. In Isaiah 6, 1-5, through 5, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one, had six wings, with twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips." For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And so we see Isaiah cap capturing a glimpse of the Lord in all of his glory. Uh, really made him look at himself and see just that comparison there. There was no comparison to how undone and unclean he was. And just even his life, but also being associated with um, people there as well uh, that were, were all sinful. Um, let's see here. We've got John acknowledges his sinfulness in response to his awareness of God's holiness as well. Um, it says in Revelations uh, 1, 12 through 17, uh, and I'll read through some of this. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw 
the seven golden candlesticks. Sounds familiar. And in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps of the golden girdle, his head and his hairs were like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. Uh, we went over that in Sunday school. Was that last week, I think? We went over that. Yet even in our own sinfulness, God commands us to strive to be like him, as he is holy. First Peter 1, 15-16. We'll start with Dad. I think that's on there. Uh. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. So in this lesson from the 13th chapter of the Gospel of John, we'll discuss the events in the life of Peter, which has demonstrated his need to be cleansed spiritually. And as you see in your sheet, our text uh, verse, where all this is uh, brought from, is the Lord washing the disciples' feet. Uh, for sake of time, yeah, we won't read all that um, at this point. Uh, so, point number one, this is a tough one. Uh, it seems like a made-up word to me, but it uh, starts with an M, has to do with um, a form of what the Lord came here to do and serve. Yeah, that, that's kind of the right line. So that's why it seems like a made-up word to me, but... Administration. So for sake of alliteration, all these are M's. I think that's why that one's a little bit of a stretch there, but, you know, all, of, all to make it start with M. So from our passage, we see a number of tremendous lessons that are applicable to believers today. While the, the thrust of this lesson is on cleansing and being cleansed, we first see the Lord setting the stage for this lesson by demonstrating the heart of a servant. And in our text verse in John, that serves as a great template uh, for the servant, um, especially as um, somebody... Who's in, who wants to be a leader in the Christian faith, uh, the best way to do that is first to be a servant. And as always, our greatest example is Jesus uh, Christ himself. So. Subpoint A, Christ's what? Both of these, um, I believe, yes, start with H. So what was his motive, his... Heart. H-E-A-R-T, right? Got the joy, joy, joy. Yeah, that should be right. <clears throat> Sometimes us engineers gotta sing the songs to get the right spelling. <laughs> so, subpoint A, Christ's heart. In Christ's actions, we see his heart for his people. The Bible says, 
having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Uh, Spurgeon said of John 13, 1, having loved his own, his by election, his by redemption, for he regarded that as he already done, which was about to be accomplished, having loved his own, which were in the world, not yet in heaven, but still in the midst of trial, still imperfect, even as you and I are, he loved them unto the end, or unto perfection, as it might be rendered. Jeremiah 31, 3. It has been said that love is a close. It has to do with the English, uh, an English term. It's not a noun, it's a verb. Love is a verb. This means that it is, which is basically an action, which this means that is far more than just a feeling. It is an act. The, the love Jacob had for Rachel is a prime example of this love. Yeah, so it's like, I was, as I read this, I was like, man, Dad, why didn't you capitalize on this? All <laughs> oh, your daughters. Uh, he loved her so much that he's willing to undergo seven years of toil for her. We could have got a lot done in our property if we made this work. So we see in Genesis 29, 20. And as we pointed out before, the love of God was expressed in his greatest gift in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever, whosoever shall believe, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And over and over again, we see that love leads to action. There's that word. Out of the love that he had for the men he had chosen in this passage, Jesus humbled himself and performed for them the task of the lowliest servant. Uh, and it has an illustration to here. It kind of goes back to some of the history of uh, where this feet washing came from with just uh, the culture of the day and where they were at and not being carpet or rugs and lots of sand and dirt and wearing sandals that obviously hands and feet got really dirty and it was customary to wash your hands and feet before you went into somebody's house. Um, so, and this was typically done by yourself or if you went to somebody who had some money, it was done by their servants or their slaves, what have you. So it was a kind of a dirty job, but the Lord humbled himself and did this. So point number two, uh, or subpoint B, Christ's starts with an H. Humility. Whoa, that was a big deal. Humility. Christ's humility. It is almost incomprehensible to realize that the Son of God the Lord of the universe was willing to lay aside his garment and clothe himself in a towel so that he could kneel before his disciples and wash their feet. Imagine the creator serving the created. Let's see. 
There's a lot of scripture backing up uh, just uh, the Lord's holiness. Uh, so some of that is Psalm in Psalms, Psalms chapter 8, verses uh, 1 through 4. Some of that is, O Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who hast set the glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and sucklings have thou ordained strength. Because of thine enemies, thou mightest still the enemy of the avenger. When I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what, a, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? If the Lord himself was willing to do such a lowly and seemingly demeaning task, how much more should we be willing to humble ourselves to serve the saved and lost alike? If we choose to do this, we are truly walking in his steps. Uh, see. Sub point B. Trying to see which ones we have. So let's go ahead. Um, I'll skip through some of that. Christ knew that God's principle has always been that if we humble ourselves in the sight of God, he will lift us up. This is a conditional promise in Scripture. The way up is down. The way to save your life is to lose it. The way to receive it is to give. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. So let's go ahead and read Luke 19.10. John 15, 16. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you, that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. In Matthew So we see here in these verses how Christ being so high, yet he has come to seek and to save us. Um, and again, as that Psalms chapter 8, What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? Pretty amazing what the Lord has humbled himself um, because he loved us that much. Uh, and we should uh, follow his example and do the same. James 4.10 says, Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. Uh, humility always comes before promotion. Before Jacob became a prince with God, he had to lose a wrestling match with an angel. Before Joseph was exalted as a sovereign, he was humbled as a son as a shepherd, and as a servant, and as a slave. When we choose the path of humility, we're obeying the precepts of Scripture. Point number two, the something Peter did, not um, word for not quite following what the Lord was doing mentally, Misunderstanding. The mis um, er, 
Seems like way too many letters, but I think that's right. That's close enough. The time had now come for Peter to gain another part of his education as a disciple. As he is prone to do, he once again spoke without thinking and contradicted the Lord, certain he knew better. So subpoint A, Peter's, these all start with I. Again, these are uh, some of these words I don't. I want to see if. Oh, wow, yeah. Incred incredulity. Incredulity. Incredulity, yes. There you go. I was wondering how to say that. Yeah, actually. Credulity. Peter's incredulity. Incredulous people are skeptical people. And here Peter asks, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? He could not believe that Jesus would wash his feet, even though he had watched him do this very thing for several of his fellow disciples. Of course he knew what Christ's intention was, but it seemed that he just couldn't believe why the master would take on the role of a servant. Think about what Jesus said in verse 7, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. That's kind of interesting. And Peter, Jesus says this, and Peter's still kind of questioning. Like Peter just, or The Lord just told you that you might not understand it now, but... I'll, uh, you will know. There's a lesson coming right after this. <laughs> you know, uh, Peter often does what I think most people think, which is a, uh, not a bad thing in some ways, but jumps the gun. We often wonder just what the Lord is up to. Many things in our lives uh, don't make sense on the surface, but before we question Christ, we need to realize that we do not see things the way He does. We see things from an earthly perspective. God inhabits the entire universe. We think in terms of time while God holds all of eternity. God simply wants his children to trust and obey. We may not understand now, but someday we will. And so Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Then Romans 11, 33 through 34. For the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? Oh, excuse me. So, yeah, we've seen these verses. Just how, even though we might not understand, the Lord Lord knows. And it, it's kind of interesting. The more uh, 
Um, the further on in the train ride of Christianity you get, and I think maturity as well, of you see these comparisons that the Bible makes, um, just like uh, with my son. Uh, there's some things that I'm sure Abby with you working with kids and stuff and Christian being uh, older brother there's like you want to help these little guys and they don't see it like that they don't trust you and you know you want the best for them you're trying not to get them in trouble you don't want them to get a spanking or or you want them to have fun to get on this ride and do this fun thing because you know they will have fun but they just don't see it that way and trust you and they know better than you, and they miss out on some things, and it kind of like really makes you sad for them. And um, probably that's exactly how the Lord sees us. Uh, and it has an illustration of just uh, getting on a plane, you know, like how little our scope is here sitting on the earth. There's only so far you can see, especially here in Ohio with all the hills. But even if you went to Arizona, there's only so far you can actually see before, you know, you know, the Coriolis effect and all that, you can only see so far with the curvature of the earth. But if you get in a plane and you go thousands of feet up, you know, how much you can, like, see. It's incredible. It's kind of, you know, a bigger extent of what, how God sees the world and the universe. So we should not, we should trust the Lord and know what his vision is, is better than ours. But we don't often. So subpoint B. So uh, we got Peter's incredulity. Now we have his impertinence. Leave it alone. It's getting worse. Uh, we see how Peter was first questioned in the Lord's action. And here in verse 8, he actually refused Christ's attempt to wash his feet. Uh, and Peter says, Thou shalt never wash my feet. One can imagine Peter turning away and trying to avoid the Lord. Uh, you see your little kids doing this. <laughs> Again, uh, we saw... Uh, when Jesus told Peter about his upcoming death, Matthew 16, 21 through 22 says, Peter, Peter's attitude was, this is not how it should be. Our natural reaction might be to wonder, how could he do that? Why would he directly tell the Lord no? But a better question would be, why would we try to avoid what the Lord wants for us? For instance, to be kind under all circumstances, to be patient in tribulation, to give sacrificially, and to go into the highways and hedges to compel people to come in. How many times have we told the Lord no when we should understand He knows it all and only wants what is best for us? Isaiah 30, 15. That one's in there. Not sure where we're at. Uh, how about Abby? 
We'll start again. Sure. For thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and in rest shall you be saved. In quietness and in confidence shall be your strength, and you would not. Then Jeremiah 29, 19. Because they have not hearkened to my words, saith the Lord, which I which I sent unto them by my servants the prophets, rising up early and sending them, but ye would not hear, saith the Lord. And Matthew twenty three thirty seven. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. So if our illustration uh, that has in here, if our doctor tells us you must do this, get more exercise, heard that one, eat more healthy, heard that one too, we are often more willing to follow our own doctor's advice than the commandments of God. That one's debatable for me. <laughs> While it is true that Peter's response was not correct, we must realize that each of us might give an account for ourselves. There's always a price to pay for saying no to God. And again, it's kind of a tough one because it, it maybe simply we're missing out on a lot of blessings um, later in life. Um, maybe not so much a keeping you from a danger thing, but you're not, you, know, you might not be able to partake in some of the things that the Lord really wants to bless you with. All right, so sub point C. Another IMP. That close. Actually, I don't even really sort of know what this word means, other than in context. Um, I assume it means I've heard it said before of being kind of um, sort of impertinent, but. Um, like sort of a little hasty, uh, sort of a haste, answering haste and pride, sort of. Yes, impetuosity. So I made a word out of that. Uh, again, that sounds made up to me, but impetuous. U O. Wow, I didn't realize this is a spelling bee. That is how he has it spelled. Is that even a word? Okay, it is now. Sounds like my uh, Spanish. I just start making up words in Spanish. Peter's reply was impetuous. In other words, it was hasty and hadn't been given in careful consideration. Jesus responded to Peter by telling him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Peter knew that once again he had spoken rashly and tried to make up for it. Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Peter's approach to life sometimes reminds us of a pendulum. It is often all one way or all the other. Proverbs 29.11. Not sure where we're at. Is that one in there? 
A fool uttereth all his mind, but a wise man keepeth it in till afterwards. In Ecclesiastes 5, 2. Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thy heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven and now upon earth, therefore let thy words be few. James 1, 19. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. All right. It's an illustration that I'm going to skip, talking about uh, the saying, look before you leap, um, and its background <laughs> sort of has to do with a, um, an old poem. So you have to look that up by um, a dialogue containing the number of effect in the probable versus English tongue. So some kind of Irish English thing there. So In 19... Or 1546, 1546. So you have to look that up. Kind of interesting, especially you, Christian. We understand that all of God's word is true and nothing should be taken away from it. It should not be diminished, dis, diminished in any way, but our zeal, we sometimes take God's word further than the author himself does. And this is equally wrong. The scribes and Pharisees were especially notorious for this. Matthew 23, 1 through 4. I don't think that one's in there. Um, so it says, Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do, but do not ye after their works, for they say, and do not. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be born, and they lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. In Revelations 22, 18 through 19, I don't think that one's in there either. It says, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of this book of, prof of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city from the things which are written in this book. So yeah, I'd be very scared to um, try to make my own um, <laughs> version of the Bible and think, yeah, that, that'd, be, that'd be a scary thing to do, to have that responsibility there, uh, that revelation as put on that. So, an illustration to contra contrast the two commands of Christ, the Pharisees had developed a system of 613 laws and 365 negative commands and 248 positive laws. By the time Christ came, it had preceded a heartless, cold, and arrogant brand of righteousness. As such, it contained at least 10 tragic flaws. And again, yeah. We always think of the Jewish law as being the Ten Commandments, but there's a lot more than the Ten Commandments um, that ended up being part of the law. Um, so, so ten of just a few of these flaws. Uh, one, uh, new laws continually needed to be invented for new situations. Accountability to God was replaced by accountability to men. Three, it reduced a person's ability to personally discern. Four, it created judgmental spirit. Five, the Pharisees confused personal and preferences, 
or confused personal preferences with divine law. Six, it produced inconsistencies. Seven, it created a false standard of righteousness. Eight, it became a burden to the Jews. Nine, it was strictly external. Ten, it was rejected by Christ. It is here in John 13, 10 that Christ teaches Peter and believers alike a tremendous lesson. He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. That lesson dealt with the inward cleansing the Lord Jesus Christ was explaining here about the washing of regeneration. Titus 3, 5 states, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. David said in Psalms 51, 7, Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. This washing of regeneration is only needed one time. Hebrews 10, 10 through 12 says, By the which we were all sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ, uh, by the body of Jesus Christ, once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which never can take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. So, however, there is a cleansing that needs to take place on a continual basis. We may be washed whiter than snow, but there is a continual uh, cleansing that we need to do. As the sandal shod feet of people in Jesus' day required at least one daily washing, so our lives accumulate grime and uncleanliness from this world and the sin that is around us and within us and need to be cleansed. This is done through, through confession. God assures us of forgiveness and cleansing as we come in honesty to him. 1 John 1, 8 through 9 says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In Psalms 34, 18, I'm not sure where we're at. The Lord is nigh to all that them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as of a contrite spirit. Psalms fifty one seventeen. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Then Isaiah fifty seven fifteen. Don't have that one? So that one says, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humbled spirit, to receive the spirit of the humble and to, re, uh, and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. All right, so point number three. Point number three. So we got administration, the misunderstanding, and now we've got the reason. Motivation. Motivation. Motivation time, come on. After performing the task of a servant, the Lord took time to give his disciples another important piece of their education. The lesson he wanted them and all of us to understand was that 
um, we, were, we are able to be like him, having a heart to serve others. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done, um, as Jesus said there in that passage in John. When the believer grasps the importance of serving, he is not only honors the Lord, but he also impacts the recipients. The word of God states in Philippians 2.21, For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. So we see there in that verse, it is not natural to, to desire to serve. What is natural is each man to seek to fulfill his own desires and create self-satisfaction. What is the first characteristic of the last days? The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 2, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. If we seek the things that pertain to Christ, then we will seek to be a servant. So subpoint A, these start with so the Bible talks about um, in order to have this happen you have to be abased exaltation Christ's exaltation. So after he had washed their feet and taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say well, for so, uh, for so I am. As he said this, Christ had something far deeper in his mind than the act of foot washing. He commends the disciples for calling him Master and Lord indirectly states that he is both. Matthew twenty-eight eighteen. Yes, or I, I'm not sure. Sure, go ahead. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Then John three thirty-five. The Father loveth his Son. Then Colossians 1.18. And he is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have. All right. Oh, I think I think it did skip you dead. Sorry about that. Illustration it has in here. The word of God states that John the Baptist was the greatest man born of a woman, Matthew 11.11. What a, an amazing compliment for an amazing man. But John understood who it was that deserved the exaltation and, and proclaimed, he must increase, but I must decrease, um, in John 3.30. To put it in simpler terms, John understood that the key was to have more and more about Jesus and less and less about himself. Every chance John got, he directed attention away from himself toward Jesus. Uh, this is exactly what we ought to be doing in our daily lives. And everything, he must increase, but I must decrease. 
Um, and we see where Jesus asked his disciples, Know ye what I have done to you? A good teacher will not simply lecture and recite facts. He will ask, good teacher things. He will ask questions as well, seeking to engage students in order to build understanding. Of course they knew what he had done to them, but did they comprehend what it really meant? Sub point B. So another great way to teach somebody something is by example. Nice. As this passage closes, the Lord teaches three great lessons. Lesson number one is that we ought to serve others. Christ said, If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. The Christian should always be looking for areas where he can be of service. And the greatest act of service in which we can engage is that of telling others about the gospel. In a world that is immersed with sin, uh, there are many who need to be touched with the cleansing power of the gospel. So Matthew 28, 18-20 says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the world even unto the end of the world. Amen. Uh, so other verses, uh, some in 2 Corinthians uh, 5, 18 through 20, um, James 1 through 20, 22 through 25. There's some other verses there that you can look up later. So the second lesson is that we are to follow the example of Christ as the hymn writer William O. Cushing stated on Follow On, it ought to be the goal of every believer to truly follow Jesus anywhere and everywhere. If we will do as he did, we will be blessed and will be a blessing. We will be blessed and we will be a blessing as well. Christ went on to say in verse 18 that we are not greater than the Lord who has sent us and we need to be willing to do what he did. 1 Peter 2 Verse 21. Even here unto the word of the call, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. In Matthew 10, 38. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. Then Romans 8, 29. From whom he did foreknow, he also did see a destiny to be conformed to the images of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. In 1 Corinthians 11, 1. And be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Ephesians 5, 2. And walk in love, as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smell of Isn't it amazing how the Lord commanded us to do something, but he gave us the example to do it. Uh, illustration. Here it says there was a time in America where education focused on great men and women, uh, their lives, and their accomplishments. 
Uh, the English philosopher Alfred North Whitehead wrote, moral education is impossible apart from the habitual vision of greatness. Now in a day where the sordid and the spectacular is in great demand, these heroes and heroines of the past have had their lives examined and in excruciating and often inappropriate detail, and the aura is often lost. Today's heroes, sadly, are often people who set poor morals, uh, who set poor morals examples in many ways. And how true is that? Uh, the final lesson is found in verse 17. Christ says that if we know these things, we will be happy if we do them. Happiness truly comes from finding God's will in doing it. It is in God's will that we serve others. It is in God's will that we humble ourselves. It is also God's will for us to be happy. And Jesus states that if we will serve as he did, we will have joy. So there's a few verses here. Uh, James 1, 22-25, Be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Um, and it goes on, we, we all know that verse, For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass, for he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, straightway and forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whosoever looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continue therein, he not being a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. And it's got some other verses there, Psalms 19, 7 through 11. And then also Psalms 119, 1 through 6. Um, we'll read some of that. That says, Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. That's verse 1. Um, verse 2 says, Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with a whole heart. And verse 5 and 6 says, Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. Then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all thy commandments. So a lot of uh, verses there we can um, on that of how we can be blessed if we just trust the Lord and humble ourselves and obey and serve. So in conclusion, wrapping up here, Christ wants us to understand our need of cleansing. And from this passage and the example of Peter, we learn that we cannot be cleansed in and of ourselves, we need to choose to allow Christ to cleanse us, first in salvation and then in our day-to-day -day walk with God. When we do this, having tasted and seen that the Lord is good, Psalms 34, 8, we will desire to be the agent of change in the lives of others. So uh, I'll ask Pastor to come up and close us, and uh, that is the lesson for tonight. Just to think that Jesus was going to wash your feet, how would you feel about that? That would, it's an interesting thought. But you know, really, that was the whole thing he had already done. He left his throne in heaven to come down and give his life for us. I mean, that's what he came to do. And everything he asked us to do is in that, that nature, to love those that uh, don't love you. Um, I mean, he came even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for. So it's all really all to, together on that. So uh, that was just a thought that uh, I had. Did anybody else have any thoughts on the lesson?
Lesson on me. <laughs> oh, all right. Anybody else? You want me to wash your feet tonight? I didn't think so. She don't like me to touch her feet. <laughs> All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your blessed word. All the scripture that we went through tonight. Thank you for John uh, coming and bringing the message. Lord, do we pray for all those who are sick. And uh, just pray that you'd heal them up. Lord God, we endeavor to lift your name up in our program. And we have a lot of practices and things to do. And so I just pray that you'd work that out. Uh, for your honor, for your glory, and uh, we just thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.